morning. Our scripture reading this morning is going to be in John chapter 5. John 5, 1 to 30. We are in the third week of our uh, summer sermon series in the Gospel of John, and different speakers over the course of the summer will be looking at the truly, truly sayings of Jesus. Truly, truly, one of the ways Jesus would emphasize that what he was about to say was of the utmost importance, that we should listen up. This is absolutely true. And so John 5, 1 to 30. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For everything, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word 
and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would speak to both our hearts and minds, search us. Lord, may your truth penetrate into our lives, and may you encourage and challenge us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. In our passage this morning, the Jewish people have begun persecuting Jesus. And they are persecuting him for two reasons. First, in their minds, he was doing things a Jewish man ought not to do. And second, they accused him of saying things a Jewish man ought not to say. Persecution for what he did and what he said. For what he did. Jesus has chosen to heal an invalid on the Sabbath, which the people would have viewed as a violation of the law. There were more than 600 laws to keep track of and practice, and then countless interpretations and add-ons generated by the religious leaders of the day. Sabbath-keeping was especially important. God, after all, rested after six days of creation, and mankind was to do the same. And not only has Jesus done this, but he has done this openly, intentionally, and in public. Commentators point out that throughout the Gospels, it is the sick who usually come looking to Jesus for healing Except for on the Sabbath, the day of rest, all four Gospels depict Jesus deliberately seeking out and healing on the Sabbath. Though we understand Jesus to be Lord of the Sabbath, that ultimately our rest comes in him, they accused him of Sabbath-breaking, persecution for what he did. And persecution for what he said. My father is working until now, and I am working. A directly implied statement of divinity, claiming to be God, blasphemy, if untrue, punishable by stoning the accused to death. 
So John writes in verses 16 and 18, this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, and this was why they were seeking all the more to kill him for what he was doing and what he was saying. He was breaking the Sabbath and making himself equal with God. The word persecute may actually be better understood as prosecute or bring to trial. The Jews had a religious responsibility under the law to bring accusations of Sabbath breaking to trial. And so these allegations actually mark the unofficial beginning of the judicial process that was initiated against Jesus. In the verses that follow, Jesus presents himself as someone who is authorized and empowered to work and speak on behalf of God. Because he is sent by God, he is equal to God, and therefore, he is God. Three times in our passage, he underlines the importance of the truths he is claiming by saying, truly, truly, this is the utmost truth. Jesus lays out three of his divine characteristics that authorize him to do and say these things. Three characteristics that confirm he is sent by God, equal to God, and is God. First, Jesus knows and does the work of God. Verse 19, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Whatever the father does, the son does likewise. The son does not act independently and in fact cannot act independently, but rather Jesus is completely aligned with the Father and the Father's purposes. As John Piper says, it is not that Jesus sees what the Father is doing and then does some of those things. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Perfect unity in will and purpose. Perfect unity in will and purpose between the Father and the Son, like waving to yourself in a mirror. And it is love that propels this unity. In verse 20, Jesus adds, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. In the Greek, this is a perfect love, an approving love, a love between the sender and the sent, between the authorizer and the authorized. The Gospels so frequently portray Jesus as going off to pray, going off to seek the Father's will, and we see some of the fruits of that devotion to prayer here. So Jesus asserts himself, arguing that he knows what the Father is doing. By his very nature, he works harmoniously with the Father to accomplish his purposes. If the Father is working, so is He. He is God, and God is working. 
And now Jesus will present a second argument or a second proof, if you will, that will validate what he has done and said. Pick up midway through verse 20. And greater works than these will he, the Father, show him, the Son, so that you may marvel. There are greater works than these to come. Buckle up. And this statement is something else. In this gospel alone, Jesus has already turned water into wine. He's revealed to the Samaritan woman that he knows everything she has ever done. He has healed the Capernaum official's son who was at the point of death, and he does this just by speaking. And now he has healed the man by the pool. Yet, Jesus says the Father is going to show him something greater, something that demonstrates beyond any shadow of a doubt that he is who he says he is, something that will clinch it, something that will allow him to rest his case. Raising the dead. Jesus is going to raise the dead. Verse 21 For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. An hour is coming, a time is coming for the resurrection of the dead. Jesus will give a preview of this a few chapters later, a glimpse when he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead, a man who had been dead for four days. But that was just a glimpse, a foreshadowing. Lazarus would eventually die for good. In a complete sense, to the fullest, An hour is yet coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live forever. Paul writes of this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Jesus claims the authority to do and say these things because he is God, working perfectly in line with what the Father is doing. His works attest to this, works as great as raising the dead. And not only will he raise the dead, but the Father has also delegated something to Jesus. He has delegated judgment to the Son all judgment. Verses 22 and 23. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. In our day, we love having options available to us. Who doesn't love options? Customization, ordering from the menu a la carte, one item at a time. 
whether it's our news feeds, our playlists, our streaming services, preference is alive and well. But we cannot customize God one item at a time. The world will try to do this, though, to build a God based on their preferences. They will speak in general and maybe non-committal ways of the fuzzy ideas they have about God, about God being tolerant or perhaps welcoming, or of a loose and wispy faith in God. But we will know a person's response to God by how they respond to Jesus. Do they recognize the Son? Do they honor Him? Do they marvel at Him? Jesus said, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. This is the reason why the Father has delegated all judgment to the Son, so that mankind would honor the Son and the Father. Jesus said that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And when judgment is given to Jesus, it is given to Him in totality, all judgment. In basketball, there's something called the pivot flick. If you're not dribbling, but simply holding on to the ball, you're allowed to move one foot back and forth, as long as that other foot, the pivot foot, stays planted. And the player holding the ball is in decision mode. Are they going to pass, dribble, or shoot? Pass or shoot? All while the shot clock is ticking down. Jesus is presenting his listeners with a pivot point, a point at which they need to make a decision about what he has done and what he has said about the defense he has just presented. And Jesus' defense is weighty, it is heavy. He is authorized to do and say these things because he is God's perfect, equal, sent, and authorized. His will and his work are perfectly harmonious with God the Father. He's going to raise the dead. All judgment has been given to him. All honor is owed to him as it is owed to the Father. Pivot point. Pass or shoot. What will the Jewish people do with this defense? How will they respond? But it gets heavier. Like the humid air this week, we have a thunderstorm that we think is going to clear the air, but then what happens? The sun comes out, cooks all that moisture, and it gets heavier still, hotter, heavier. In the Jewish legal system that we spoke of earlier, the defendant did not need to stay the defendant. They would actually be given the opportunity to turn the tables on their accuser, to pivot, to accuse their accuser. 
And now Jesus is saying all judgment has been given to him. All of it. Not just judgment in this particular matter, working on the Sabbath and claiming to be God. All judgment. Judgment over life itself. The Apostle Peter would testify to this, saying that Jesus is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. And the tables have turned. The trial has pivoted. Jesus is not the one on trial anymore. The Jewish people are. We are. You are. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the prosecutor. And we are the accused. We are the criminals. We are the defendants. And it gets heavier still. Jesus is now going to call witnesses to testify for him against us. We're short on time this morning, but read the rest of the chapter this afternoon, verses 30 to 47. Jesus calls witnesses to testify. Verse 33, John the Baptist, the forerunner, the one who would prepare the way for Jesus. Verse 36, his own works testify the miracles that he has done so that we would believe. Verse 39, the scriptures themselves, to him all the prophets bear witness. There are other witnesses too, Moses, the law, the Holy Spirit, the Father. All of these testify against those who will not hear the Son and believe in the Father who sent him. Jesus is sent by God, equal to God, and is God. He is perfect in all his ways, and it is we who are guilty. Jesus says, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. But the scripture says there is no one who is righteous. There's no one who does good. And who among us has not done evil? We have lied. We have harbored envy and bitterness in our hearts. We have harbored hatred in our hearts, equivalent to murder, according to Jesus. We have put other gods before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. With every selfish pursuit, we have gone after idols, our own gods. We are accused for what we have done and for what we have said. We are on trial. We are guilty. And we must face the judge. Truly, truly, all judgment has been given to the Son. The world does not want to hear that. 
we may not want to hear that. But not wanting to hear something does not make it untrue. Praise the Lord, there is an exemption available. Jesus, the one to whom all judgment was assigned, was judged on our behalf. The judicial process that was initiated against Jesus ended up in the death sentence for him. Though he was innocent, without sin, though he is God, he willingly placed our sin on his shoulders. He carried them to Calvary where he was crucified, receiving the full wrath of the Father, the penalty for our sins. He shed his blood and died that we might be forgiven. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. By his wounds you have been healed. He was died, he died rather and was buried, yet after three days he took up his own life again. He rose from the dead. An assurance of what is to come. Resurrection to eternal life. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, exempt from judgment, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What will be your fate when you stand before the judge? Will judgment be exercised against you? Or will you be exempt? You can pass from death to life. You can settle this right now by admitting your sin, admitting your guilt, and calling out to him for salvation. I remember as a young kid hearing the good news of what Jesus had done during Sunday school. God bless all of you junior church and Awana and Sunday school teachers. We came home from church and I scrambled downstairs to my dad's office and lay on the bed down there and I prayed a little prayer asking God to forgive me of my sins and to save me. He did. I told everyone after that, I'm told I even started baptizing the neighbor kids in the pool. As a young adult, I tried to have a foot in both camps, the world and in Christ, and I knew I was not guilty, or I knew I was guilty of following, not following the Lord wholeheartedly. I responded to the call for repentance and put both feet with the Lord Jesus. Perhaps you are feeling the shot clock ticking down this morning. You are hearing the voice of Jesus call. You know that there is a lawbreaker. It's not Jesus, but you. What will you say? How will you plead? Jesus deliberately sought out and healed the man at the pool. And he may be seeking you out to heal you this morning. 
hear him, believe him, honor him, marvel at him. The hour is now here, today, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Eternal life can begin today. He will begin to recreate you into the image of the Son, into the image He originally intended you to bear, that of the Lord Jesus. And for us who have believed the good news, just as the Father and the Son are acting in perfect harmony, we are invited into that relationship too. In fact, we are now authorized and empowered to act and speak on behalf of Jesus. Later in this gospel, John records Jesus praying for us. In chapter 17, Jesus prays to the Father and he says this, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may believe you have sent me. Our unity with God and with other believers is meant to be an attestation that the Father has, in fact, sent His Son into the world. Our unity as believers is directly tied to the gospel message. Talk about weighty statements, but that is a good heavy. That is a breath of fresh air. Unity with God and with each other. John would later write to believers that we should abide in him, that we should remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence. And so we will close, and we will pray to that end uh, this morning. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, thank you for sending your Son. Thank you for sending the Son of God into the world that we may know you, know you by your works, know you by what you have said, and know that we can have confidence because the Lord Jesus was judged on our behalf. Thank you that we don't need to fear condemnation, but that we can have a right standing before you, and that there is an opportunity to pass from judgment to eternal life. We pray that if there are those here that have not yet surrendered to you, that you would break them this morning, that they would hear, believe, that they would honor the Son. For us who know you, may we be stitched together in unity, Lord. May the world see us and know and believe. And we thank you for this time that we could spend together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.